Welcome to the Buddha's Advice. I'm Jason Padilla. In this third episode, we examine a brief description of what the Buddha advised for his followers, both lay people and monastics. The Buddha taught many things to hundreds of people, but his essential teachings always focused around suffering and the end of suffering. What was the Buddha's advice to people in living a holy life, or a life attuned to holistic values? Or, speaking non-religiously, how can we live a good, ethical, and moral life? His words on the Four Noble Truths included a way to end suffering, the Noble Eightfold Path. In this episode, we examine this path and how it helps us to live a better life. We could read, explore, and examine all of the suttas and have hundreds of teachings that are uniquely Buddhist. There are many variations and interpretations depending on the lineage and the tradition. However, all Buddhist practitioners and followers will acknowledge the Buddha's teachings on the Four Noble Truths and the Noble Eightfold Path. The scope of just these two topics would likely cover an entire book if examined in detail, so the focus of this episode will be on what the Buddha explains himself. We will read from the Samyutta Nikaya, the Connected Discourses of the Buddha, as translated by Bhikkhu Bodhi, to find an analysis of the Noble Eightfold Path explained step-by-step step by the Buddha. In the 45th Sutta, the Magasamyutta, or the Connected Discourses on the Path, we find the Buddha explaining the Noble Eightfold Path in all its detail in the 8th section. What is the Noble Eightfold Path anyway? What are the eight sections of it? Here the Buddha teaches, quote, Bhikkhus, I will teach you the Noble Eightfold Path, and I will analyze it for you. Listen to that and attend closely. I will speak. Yes, venerable sir, those bhikkhus replied. The blessed one said this. And what bhikkhus is the noble eightfold path? Right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, and right concentration. End quote. As we can see, the path involves all aspects of life. Included are actions, words, thoughts, and even careers of the people that follow it. The Buddha often cites these eight ways as the path to help people end their struggles and their hardship. However, the wording seems vague and open-ended. What does right mean in regard to our views, thoughts, actions, and the rest? Is there a specific way to be right, or is it open to interpretation? This particular sutta, called Analysis, is where the Buddha offers specifics about what each of the spokes of the Eightfold Path mean. Beginning with view, he explains, quote, And what bhikkhus is right view? Knowledge of suffering, knowledge of the origin of suffering, knowledge of the cessation of suffering, knowledge of the way leading to the cessation of suffering. This is called right view. And what bhikkhus is right intention? Intention of renunciation, intention of non-ill will, Intention of harmlessness, this is called right intention. And what bhikkhus is right speech? Abstinence from false speech, abstinence from divisive speech, abstinence from harsh speech, abstinence from idle chatter, this is called right speech. And what bhikkhus is right action? Abstinence from the destruction of life, abstinence from taking what is not given, abstinence from sexual misconduct, this is called right action. And what bhikkhus is right livelihood? Here, a noble disciple, having abandoned wrong mode of livelihood, earns his living by a right livelihood. This is called right livelihood. End quote. 
As we can see, the Buddha calls for the actions that lead to the benefit of others, asking others to refrain from harming, killing, lying, using their body inappropriately, and harboring ill will. However, with livelihood, the words again seem ambiguous. This is because there are two roles within the Buddhist community, the monastics and the laypeople. The monastic, whether monk or nun, depends on the community to provide for them, and their livelihood is just being a spiritual follower of the Buddha. Lay people, on the other hand, must find jobs and careers to provide them means to survive and to provide for the monastics. Livelihoods, much like the Buddha's prescribed actions in the path, are guided towards non-harm and benefit to others. The Buddha, in the Anguttara Nikaya, the numerical discourses, discourages five specific unwholesome trades for people to make a living. He explains, quote, Bhikkhus, a lay follower should not engage in these five trades. What five? Trading in weapons, trading in living beings, trading in meat, trading in intoxicants, and trading in poisons. A lay follower should not engage in these five trades. From the Anguttara Nikaya, Chapter 5, Sutta number 177. These trades match the actions that the Buddha dissuades us against. Weapons, poisons, and animal butchery all require the killing of other beings. Human trafficking forces people against their wills and makes them into slaves and objects. Intoxicants like drugs and alcohol can cause people to become addicted and dependent on them to function. None of these would be caring and compassionate ways to make a living. Continuing where the Buddha was explaining the path, we examine the right effort next. The Buddha states, quote, and what bhikkhus is right effort? Here bhikkhus, a bhikkhu generates desire for the non-arising of unarism, evil, unwholesome states. He makes an effort, arouses energy, and applies his mind and strives. He generates desire for the abandoning of arisen, evil, unwholesome states. He generates the desire for arising of unarism, wholesome states. He generates desire for the maintenance of arisen, wholesome states for their non-decay, increase, expansion, and fulfillment by development. He makes an effort, arouses energy, applies his mind, and strives. This is called right effort. The Buddha explains here that all efforts are not just the ones illustrated on the path, but should be grounded in wholesome states. Next, the Buddha explains right mindfulness. He explains, quote, And what bhikkhus is right mindfulness? Here, bhikkhus, a bhikkhu dwells contemplating the body in the body, ardent, clearly comprehending, mindful, having removed covetousness and displeasure in regard to the world. He dwells contemplating feelings and feelings, ardent, clearly comprehending, mindful, having removed covetousness and displeasure in regard to the world. He dwells contemplating mind in mind, ardent, clearly comprehending, mindful, having removed covetousness and displeasure in regard to the world. He dwells contemplating phenomena in phenomena, ardent, clearly comprehending, mindful, and having removed covetousness and displeasure in regard to the world. This is called right mindfulness." End quote. Related to this is the Satipatthana Sutta, the foundations of mindfulness, that details the four foundations of practicing this mindfulness in body, feelings, mind, and phenomena. Lastly, the Buddha explains concentration, or meditation, as it is sometimes translated. Here, the Buddha explains different states of development and being, known as jhana, 
which are markers on the path to enlightenment. No matter the tradition, Buddhist or not, here the Buddha explains that cultivating a spiritual practice is important in developing a strong sense of humanity, compassion, and character. He teaches, quote, And what bhikkhus is right concentration? Here bhikkhus, secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unwholesome states, a bhikkhu enters and dwells in the first jhana, which is accompanied by thought and examination, with rapture and happiness born of seclusion. With the subsiding of thought and examination, he enters and dwells in the second jhana, which has internal confidence and unification of mind, is without thought and examination, and has rapture and happiness born of concentration. With the fading away a well of rapture, he dwells equanimous, and, mindful and clearly comprehending, he experiences happiness with the body. He enters and dwells in the third jhana, of which the noble ones declare, he is equanimous, mindful, one who dwells happily. With the abandoning of pleasure and pain, and with the previous passing away of joy and displeasure, he enters and dwells in the fourth jhana, which is neither painful nor pleasant, and includes the purification of mindfulness by equanimity. This is called right concentration. End quote. These jhana states are largely psychological, and many people have experienced these both inside and outside of meditation. Developing and cultivating kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity are all ways to cultivate better ways of interacting in the world. The Buddha taught many ways of engaging in the world to bring out our awakening and our betterment. In this pithy explanation of his Noble Eightfold Path, we can see his attention to bringing about wholesome ways of being, benefiting others, and respecting interactions with those around us. Whether we are Buddhist or not, these encouragements and ethical methods provide a framework in which to speak, live, act, think, practice, and work. I'm Jason Padilla, and this is The Buddha's Advice.